Okay, one, two, one, two. I didn't actually need you to do that, I just wanted you to do it. Um, you are good to go whenever you are ready. Hi, you're with Damien and welcome to the interviews from these three media. Tonight we have a very special guest with Martin Blythe. Basically, Martin decided to turn his back on a seven-year career in educational leadership to pursue his lifelong aspiration of building a wildlife park in his hometown. Despite facing the ongoing challenge posed by a pandemic and coming up against the strong fist of historic England, he's still hoping that Heart of England Wildlife Park will welcome their first guests in 2021. We will have the full story and more this week on the interviews and welcome after that big intro there thank you very much uh, welcome our guest for this evening i want to say hello to martin how are you martin i'm great thank you damien and it's great to see you albeit virtually yeah definitely well we we used to kind of having a mocha or a beer let's be honest in a local pub and we haven't done that for a while have we no, I think uh, the last time that we went for a beer at uh, the local pub, you were, uh, you know, your traditional 10, 15 minutes late. Uh, and I think I told you uh, at that point the plans for opening a wildlife park uh, in our hometown. You did. And indeed, at that time as well, I probably weighed less and didn't have as many chins as I do right now. But uh, but there we go. I'm sure um, you know, Martin. I'm Damien. <laughs> This has been something that I've been... So to give you a bit of a bad story, I, I know Martin for probably now going on to about five years. Would that be right, Martin? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that, yeah. Now, Martin and I actually met at Slimming World, where um, you don't always meet people who become long-term friends. Um but we did. We met at Slimming World. Other, obviously, weight um, loss uh, providers are out there. But we met at Slimming World when you were a very different Martin Blythe, weren't you? Yeah, so I remember um, joining Slimming World uh, sort of the just after the Christmas 2017, so January 2018. I remember walking into this Slimming World uh, group, not really knowing what to expect. And I say walked, probably waddled. I was about 24 stone uh, when I first set on the scales there. Um, and I remember it being, you know, a welcoming environment, but being a little bit intimidated by a room full of women who are all older than me, and let's be honest, and, you know, they all, um, you know, were different gender, and you know, it's not easy to find uh, a partner or someone to sit by straight away. And then 10 minutes late, um, you know, uh, Damien walks into uh, Slimming World and, you know, sees the other guy who needs bailing out um, and comes and sit next to me. And yeah, I, ever since then, you know, we've got on like a house on fire and, uh, you know, we've kept in touch ever since. Indeed, the rest is history. We actually became commonly known as Anton Deck um, because we had our own sort of comedy routine. What I did like is Martin, week by week, lost weight. Um, I think I just remained there because um, I like Martin and like the banter. I did lose some, but uh, yeah, I always kind of hid when they came to me. I was like, yeah, I've done well. I think you've been a bit I, hard on yourself there, Damien. You did lose a bit of weight, to be honest. Oh, bless you, bless you. And I think between us, we probably lost, what, about four, 12 stone? We did all right. Well, I mean, you won an award, which was amazing. Um, what was the award again, Martin? Yeah, so I came runner-up in the uh, national finals for Slimming World Man of the Year. Uh, I was beaten by a guy who looked something like 25 stone, which, you know, is, is incredible. But um, I came second in that competition, uh, you know, in the year after I completed my first London marathon. Uh, and I think at that point I weighed about 14 stone. So I'd lost 10 stones since I originally came through the doors at Slimming World. Just fantastic. And and this is one of the things as well, and not to uh, um, any ego um, behind this, but again, this is why I've, I've always found you quite an inspiring character. Um, and it, even more when I found out what you were up to. And Martin, the, the whole reason that we do these shows called The Interviews, some people are well-known, some people are famous, um, other people have really, really interesting stories. And yours is one of those stories that just resonates with somebody that really has had a passion since they were younger and have taken that passion 
and followed a dream. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. So I think we need to go back in the DeLorean, go back in time and, and start from the beginning, really. So for you, obviously, you're looking to launch a wildlife park in um, mm-hmm. 2021 uh, slash 22. Is it 21? We're still going 21? We're still hoping 2021, you know, it's not impossible. Um, You know, when when we've got a new site, it's going to take us 13 weeks probably to get a planning application approved. So there is a chance that it could be the back end of this year, but it might creep into 2022. Obviously, it's been hold up to the lockdown and so on. But uh, I'm sure we'll discuss that in more detail as we go through. Definitely. So take me back then to the very beginning. So when you were younger, did you, were you always interested in nature, conservation, David Attenborough what what was it that kind of got you hooked yeah I, I remember um when I was a child always visiting uh West Midland Safari Park with my mum and dad and you know being in the car and sitting on uh, my dad's lap and he was driving and you know seeing all the animals up close and if you ask my mum I think she said my first word was GNU uh which is an African wildebeest and it might not have been my first word but that family story has stuck ever since and I just remember being absolutely fascinated by animals and specifically big mammals so your hippos rhinos elephants and so on and whenever my parents used to ask me at the weekends oh what would you like to do this weekend it was just go to the zoo go to the zoo go to the zoo and even if you went on holiday whether it's in the UK or abroad from the minute we arrived I was always badgering on to go to a zoo or wildlife park or you know to see um, animals out in their native habitats and I've just been completely fascinated by them and completely fascinated by the role of zoos as well because zoos can get a really bad press and people can think that they're concrete jungles and they have this interpretation of what they were back in the 1980s Um, but actually the important role they play in conservation you know and safeguarding species from the threat of extinction is really um, you know part of my passion and supporting things like captive breeding programs and education programs to enlighten people about the threats which animals face in the wild is something I'm really really interested in. So what sort of age were you um, when you were on your your dad's lap and you were going to West Midland Safari Park? I'm guessing you were quite young. Yeah probably four years old I reckon. Uh, Four years old I was a regular at the Safari Park. (laughs) Okay so you were four years old now I've got kids too. Um, We're we're starting to get the question at the moment of what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you're older? Um, The one uh, wants to be a doctor, the other one wants to be in fashion design. Um, So when your parents asked you that question, what, what was your answer um, back then? What did you say that you wanted to do? Do you know what? It's a really um, interesting question because even though my passion has always been wildlife um, and, you know, I've always wanted to build a zoo or a modern wildlife park, it's not that easy as you can appreciate. So I've always been quite rational as well. So if people ever asked me what I wanted to be when I was older, I always used to say a teacher. But deep down inside... I wanted to build a wildlife park. But when you tell somebody that, they're like, well, you're going to need a million pounds first to be able to do that. You know, and you go into all the different nooks and crannies and difficulties you'd face when you're opening a wildlife park. So I used to tell people I wanted to be a teacher. Um, but really, I wanted to, you know, have my own wildlife park. I remember from the ages of about eight onwards, just being hooked to things like Zoo Tycoon uh, and designing my own wildlife park and zoo, um, you know, on the computer, getting the latest animals, releasing animals into the wild. And, you know, that... That computer simulation game was essentially something which, you know, really gave me the bug for wanting to do this. So being younger, still having that buzz, but obviously teaching was was another passion as well. Did you get chance from growing up sort of nine to sort of 16? Did you have chance to get involved in any um, sort of uh, in safari parks or anything with um, vets or anything that would to, to do with animals? Did you have any kind of actual hands-on experience with any sort of animal yeah absolutely so um i remember uh, when i was about 14 years old i did work experience at the local pet shop and um you know that was rabbits guinea pigs and so on but the owner um got interested in exotic animals uh, as well so things like skunks raccoons um snakes uh priory dogs you know, so things that are a little bit more unusual um, than, you know, your, your common garden rabbit. Um, and I don't, I'm not a massive fan of exotic pets, but it was nice to be able to get a hands-on experience with those animals. And I remember doing my uh, A-level um, English coursework about how animals support 
child language acquisition. I remember having, uh, you know, a giant sort of plastic tortoise and taking that into a, a playgroup, essentially a nursery school, and showing them the tortoise and seeing their reactions and recording, you know, whether um, young people were more verbal when they were in the presence of animals or in the presence of people. And my research, you know, sort of showed that, you know, encountering animals can really encourage uh, young people to, to speak and help find their voice. And how old were you at this point? I mean, that sounds like you were about, sounds like you were about 25, but you probably yeah, didn't tell me this was when you I, were like, uh, doing, so you were doing your A-level, so you'd have been what, 16, 17? Yeah, 16, 17, yeah. I was working pet shop from 14 onwards, 16 or 17, you know, um, I was doing very sensible subjects, which I'm sure my parents encouraged me to do, like economics and business, but I also did English language, and I found a way to make English language uh, relevant to animals. Um, I, you know, people in the Zoom industry might frown now, but I remember, um, you know, when I was about 12 years old, I was that kid on the school playground who sold chocolate and cans of Coke. Um, but I also sold stick insects when my uh, pet stick insects had their babies. I used to take them into the playground in Chinese takeaway tubs uh, and sell them to the other 12 year olds. And I think uh, a couple of teachers also bought them for their children. Uh, so, you know, I've always had a fascination with animals. I wouldn't encourage anybody to sell stick insects on the, the playground um but that is something that i did do uh, back in the day so you were a bit of a down boy at that time rather than sort of selling um you know maybe tamagotchis uh, and things like that you decided to sell stick insects um yeah. <laughs> were, were, were you a popular guy um or you know did the kind of the popular kids want to sort of you know have a look at your stick insects or yeah. Damien this is a really interesting question I remember when I was at the uh, man of the year finals for uh, Slimming World and I heard all the other inspirational stories of all the other men who were there and lost a lot of weight and I remember a lot of the common themes in their stories were that you know as they've been overweight as a child they maybe hadn't fitted in with the social groups but when I actually started to do my uh, speech I remember saying that I'd never experienced that actually you know I had a really good friendship group I was very popular with people uh, throughout the school um so you know yeah I, th- I think you know that that sort of Dalboy character and also the slightly unusual um you know things that I had in my rucksack <laughs> you know did, did actually make me quite popular but you know I was also into my football and so on and, and again that, that makes me popular in school so bearing in mind with the rucksack were you kind of walking along the corridors and was your bag moving do people sort of think, what's he got in there? No, no, the bag wasn't moving at all. Like I said, the stick insects are in like Chinese takeaway containers. I remember, you know, every time I went to Chinese takeaway, I wasn't picking up any food. <laughs> they knew I'd come to buy the empty containers and they had them ready. Oh, for no. Wow, I don't think I'm going to ever look at a Chinese the same again. So <laughs> when you got to kind of the choice to go to university, mm. did you ever stop and sort of, say and I don't know Martin whether you had this when I was younger we used to have those like brown folders uh with all your kind of certification in and then you had to go up to your um your careers uh coach and then give you ideas of what you were going to go into did you ever have a conversation with your careers advisor and sort of say yeah I want to build a zoo and did they ever give you advice or did they say no Martin you're not going to build a zoo. You're going to go and be a teacher. Go to university and be sensible. Yeah, um, this is something that really actually grates me um, because obviously I've been into teaching since and always gave students advice saying, you know, do whatever you want to do, follow your dreams, because that's what I wish someone had turned around and said to me. I remember, um, you know, when I was picking my A-levels, they said to me, oh, you know, you sell cans of Coke and stick insects on the playground. You should do business. You should do economics. So I ended up doing them at A-level. And then I was naturally very good at those two subjects at A-level. So the question of the, what they said to me was, you should do business at um, university. And I remember um, looking for all the different universities I could go to. And I remember my careers advisor saying to me, why don't you go to Aston University? Because then you could go and watch Aston Villa every weekend. And I was sold, you know, because oh, I'm a massive Aston no. Villa fan, as you know. Yeah. And I thought, great, you know, Aston University, Aston Villa. Uh, and, you know, that was a winner for me. So wow. I didn't seriously consider any other university. It was just Aston all the way, business management. Looking back now, I wish I'd done biology, chemistry, you know, and pursued veterinary science at Edinburgh or somewhere like that. But, um, you know, the advice at the time was just your business, you're good at it. 
I did do one of those uh, career tests, um, you know, where they tell you what they think your job should be. Uh, sure. And I always remember that the answer was fish farm manager. Uh, wow. Which, uh, a fish farm uh, manager? Yeah. yeah. At least I was a manager. They must have picked up on the always good at business part. And probably, you know, in my answers, there was a, an underlying, I want to work outside. I want to work with animals. I yeah. am a fish farm manager. Well, at least you were scaling up. Yeah, absolutely. I tell you, honestly, you, 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 this is why we're friends, isn't it? It's probably only you that laughed at that. This is why people tune her in. <laughs> that yeah. one went. That one that went. Absolutely went that one. I tell you. That, let's move on. Okay, so you, you were at uni. You're enjoying your time uh, um, and going through your course. Did you still keep your your toe in the, the kind of dream? Um, because I know that um, you're very involved in uh, the kind of protection and awareness um, of rhinos. Did, did that kind of start then or did that come on a bit later? Yes, it's a really good question. So... Um... The first sort of animal charity that I got involved with was the British Hen Welfare Trust. And I was working for them as a volunteer from the age of about 13 to about 18, 19. And what I used to do at weekends was uh, go and meet with these this lovely couple just outside Worcester called John and Monica. And we used to go into like the big battery hen farms and rescue all of these spent hens. For the hens that were coming to the end of their natural laying cycle. Oh, wow. It's been 18 months laying eggs like machines uh, inside these factories. Um, and then we used to go and rescue them and send them on to live in free range homes. Um, so that was the first sort of animal charity that I got involved with. But when I was at university and studying for my A levels, uh, I was a member of the Bristol Zoological Society. And I spent most of my free time at Bristol Zoo, to be honest. I probably missed lectures because I was on the main lawn at Bristol Zoo. Um, so, you know, me and my partner at the time used to go down there um, probably once a week and sunbathe on the lawn when we should have been in lectures. Fantastic. An absolute rebel. This is what I'm seeing now. You know, I've always known you as kind of this straight laced guy. Now I'm seeing Dowboy market stores and, you know, so uh, again, you were keeping your, your toes in, which again kind of keeps that, that that dream alive and where where ultimately we're going to get up to in the in the modern day now when did you qualify um from university and when did you decide that okay this is the teaching route now what 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 was that link and how did that all join together yeah, so, um i left university in um june 2014 um with a 2-1 in business management to be honest i have no idea how i even got that because like i said i was never in the lectures I was nice um, and I actually almost bought a pet shop, um, which, you know, um, is obviously what most oh people do. University. So I almost bought the pet shop in Ulster, um, did all my business plan, went to the Star Loans Company. They agreed to give me the money and so on. But there was actually a technical glitch um, with the lending partner at the time. And they sort of um, weren't actually able to give out the funds. So I couldn't get the money. And I took that as a sign as not, not to do it. Um, I then applied for about 60 to 100 jobs, um, random jobs, you know, working at Halfords, um, working for Marks and Spencer as a manager, that sort of thing. Uh, I didn't get anywhere with any of them. And I remember one day sat at home thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't find a job and I want to buy a house and I want to move out. And I remember seeing this advert saying that. Have you ever been interested in teaching? Um, and I thought, well, yes, I have. I always said I wanted to be a teacher. But at that point in time, I couldn't think of anything worse than marking books and standing in front of people, especially as I was 24 stone. I had zero self-confidence. But I applied anyway, and I got an interview at a fantastic school uh, called Manda Pullman Woodward in Edgebaston in Birmingham. I remember going to my interview. I was uh, 20 minutes late because I left my passport at home. But I was so embarrassed that I had to go all the way back and get it. Oh, got no. stuck in traffic, couldn't find the building. I was oh, 20 minutes gosh. late. You know, I was a little bit flustered. And then I uh, went into the room with the principal, Mark Shingleton. And um, I think, to be honest, we just had a fantastic connection straight away. And he offered me the job on the spot. And I literally just thought, Ah, you know, I almost bought a pet shop. I've applied for 60 jobs, you know, um, and none of them have come back to me. But this teaching job has been offered to me on a plate straight away. It's obviously meant to be. 
So I took a job uh, as an hourly paid economics teacher uh, teaching 16 to 18 year olds. Wow. And, and do, you, do you think you almost, and again, I'm not sure if you, you, you know, you believe in signs and all things like that, but did you almost sort of say to yourself, you know, the passport and me losing that and then me, me uh, going back and being a bit hot and bothered. Did you sort of think at that time, there's no chance me getting the job? Um, and then when you got it, did that kind of make you think a little bit, do you know what, maybe it's time to leave the dream alone a bit now and maybe I need to, to maybe leave it as a dream? Yeah, so... I really subscribe. I'm, I'm a Christian without a doubt. So I really do believe in, you know, what's meant to be, I would call it, you know, a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Um, but I remember thinking that, you know, I've got this job as, as an economics teacher, I, I need to get a house, I need to, you know, earn money, I need to, you know, you know pay for myself in life now, you know, I'm, I'm 21 years old, or however old I was, you know, it's about time you had a stable income. And it just felt like the safest option at the time. And I gladly accepted, you know, it, uh, after all that rejection of, oh, no, you can't have the pet shop, you can't, um, you know, you can't um, have any of the other jobs you apply for. The fact that it was offered to me on a plate, I was like, it's meant to be. Uh, I'm just going to go for it. So you went through um, the ranks. You um, obviously earned your stripes. Um, you were starting to earn good money. Um, you bought your house. Um, you had um, a partner um, and things were things were going well. Uh, and one thing I, I always noticed and, and you're quite a private guy, but also you're someone that, you know, you, you can, you know, let people in. And I always knew that you had an interest in, in, in rhinos and animal welfare um, and obviously, you know, using that uh, for education, which is fantastic. We talked about my kids as well. You you never really ever let on to me that, do you know what, Damien? Um, I know we've talked about your company sometimes. One of these days, I think, I think I'm going to buy myself a zoo. And even from our conversations, it never really came up. So, so what was it for you that was that kind of epiphany light, lightning bolt moment where you said to yourself, I love the teaching. I love what I'm doing, but I've got to change. Great question. So like you said, I went through the ranks pretty quickly uh, in education. I think by the end of my first year, I was a head of department. By the end of my second year, I was a member of the senior management team. By the end of the third year, I was a member of the senior leadership team. And I was not just for for MPW Birmingham, but for the whole MPW group. Um, So there's three colleges and I was doing things for for, the whole brand. Um, And I think at the end of year Free, I almost felt like, well, I've, I've been here and I've done this now. You know, I've been the teacher, I've been the head of faculty, I've been the senior management team, and I've done really well every year. And I just felt there really wasn't um, anywhere else to go. Like there was no more career progression. I'd hit the ceiling of, of the organization within three years. And you think, well, is that the only way now is sideways, really. Um, and, you know, probably 2016, 2017, I was aware of a couple of zoos in the UK that were up for sale and you know at the time I just bought the house and didn't want to put all my money into doing that but I was really interested in learning about the operations of zoo management so I remember ordering um, a book off Amazon about zoo management I read it from cover to cover the sort of textbook that you would get if you were studying zoo management at university and I remember, um, you know, looking at the accounts for a couple of these zoos, uh, which were up for sale and looking at their operations and their cash flow forecasts and balance sheets. And I just thought, wow, this isn't actually that hard. You know, I, I, it is, you know, um, don't, don't get me wrong. But I thought I, I could do this. I know that I, I could do this. I know I could, I could pull it off. But again, you know, you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety needs are always, you know, first and foremost and basic needs. So I had to pay the mortgage, I had to pay the fuel and for the car and, you know, food, electric. And, you know, I had a relatively lavish lifestyle for someone um, my age, you know, brand new cars, brand new house. Um, And there wasn't a lot of spare income at the end of the month. So it was always a bit of a pipe dream that I could uh, be able to fund uh, a wildlife park. But I remember at the sort of start of this first lockdown, I saw a site not too far from my hometown. And I literally just thought, 
that would make a fantastic zoo. And I remember going home all excited, looking at the start of loans company process, which I've gone through previously, uh, obviously for the pet shop when I was a bit more you know, young, naive and had different priorities. And I, um, you know, put together this business plan, put together the brand. I, I sort of knew immediately I wanted to call it Heart of England Wildlife Park. And I kept it all under the radar. Like you said, I'm quite a private guy. And I remember then one day, um, sort of mid-June, having worked on this passion project just to get a business plan, which was going to be acceptable to the banks. Um, about three months later, I took it to my mum and dad and said, just to let you know, um, I'm quitting my job. I'm selling my house and I'm going to build a zoo. And uh, yeah, we haven't looked back since then, really. Just to, just to interject there. Now, which one of your uh, members of the family is it? Is it your dad that's a, a vicar? Is that right? No, my dad's a policeman. I don't have a vicar in the family. Good. I'm glad I got that right. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Yeah. He's a vicar. Wow. Right. Who was the vicar? Sorry. No, you always you always say your dad's vicar. I'm like, I've no, always said that, haven't I? Why I've do I think that? that? I don't no know idea. where you got that from. So, but again, there's obviously the Christian element within the family, mm. um, and that's a big belief of you your family mm. what was the reaction and who went first was it was it mum was it dad what did they say <laughs> my parents are separated so they, they they got their separate text you know and I okay hold on whoa whoa sorry yeah. you, you didn't have a face-to-face conversation of i'm quitting my job selling my house and i'm building a zoo you text them yeah, uh, with thanks for your support on the end. Um, <laughs> so, P.S. Uh, can I lend some money? Was any of that in there? That that came later, Damien. Um, oh my goodness me! Wow. But yeah, I, I remember um, getting the the text from Dad first. I think saying, "Okay then, um, let us know if you need anything." <laughs> Cheers, Dad. <laughs> thanks. Um, and then um, mum was obviously a little bit more uh, alarmist. It was along the lines of, oh, my God, what are you doing? Where are you going to live? How are you going to afford to pay for things? You know, um, she was asking all the rational questions. Um, so there was, there was a sense of panic in the tone of her text. Um, but ultimately, there was also a sense of support. Like, we always knew you were going to do this or do something like this. Do you know what? How fantastic that is, because... You want your parents' um, approval. Um, you know they're they're the people that um, you know made us, and and you know we want we want that kind kind of nod. And I think it shows there that um, maybe dad was a bit more laid back, and yeah, go for it, son. Uh, and mum was wearing the whole you know eyes my baby boy and and all of this. But how how great and how influential of your your parents to be that supportive? Wouldn't wouldn't you got the tick in the box from your parents at that point did you kind of have that real fire in your belly there thinking do you know what there's no stopping this now yeah absolutely I think you know the more you tell people your idea the more sort of responsible to yourself to make sure you don't fail um you know I can't personally think of anything more embarrassing than saying to my parents I'm going to build a zoo and then not building a zoo um you know and obviously from there there was the multiplier effect of telling the family and then since then, there's been obviously a movement towards friends. And now the general public, everyone knows what I'm trying to do. Uh, yeah. Kind of yeah. While I it's out there. It's out yeah, there. It's out there, you know. And yeah. we can get the local press ringers up saying, have we done anything this week? You know, that we can just put in the paper. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I wanted to tell people the plans so I couldn't back down. You know, it'd be very easy for me to go, oh, actually, I might just stay another year in teaching. I remember my boss um, at MPW Birmingham was saying, just to stay to the end of the year, you know, do another year, you know, if you want, if you want to come back um, when you're gone, you can always come back. I thought, no, I've got to make that clean cut. I've got to go for it. I've got to put everything into this to make sure it's successful. And I think that's one of the questions that I was coming on to in regards to um, obviously my, my other job apart from this is um, the recruitment business. Mm-hmm. And we've had many people that have um, left and um, we've had that conversation okay, sorry to see you go. Why are you going? Some of them, I don't like you, Damien. I'm like, okay, there's no need to be like that. Um, but I joke there. It's always a, a nervy time for for people to kind of come in and, and hand their notice in. Now, you've just given us the 
the mirror, uh, sorry, the, the the kind of the, the eyes and the, the setup to how you told your, your mum and dad. So what about your boss? Um, <laughs> how, were you nervous? And, and how did you, how did you actually approach it, this boss? Um, did they know it was coming? Were, tell me. I'm, I'm you know fascinated. What? I'm sure a lot of my former colleagues were listening uh, to your podcast just, just for this section because they're all wanting to know what happened behind those doors. Brilliant. Um, so I walked Brilliant. in to my boss, my amazing boss, you know, um, a lot of people um, thought that he was actually my dad because we had such a good relationship. And, um, you know, I, my manager. So he was a vicar? No, no, he, no, he's not a vicar. He's the principal of the school. Um, it's not a vicar. But, uh, not a vicar. No, right. but, um, but I went into uh, his uh, office and, you know, I said to him, uh, I need to, uh, tell you something unfortunately i've got to hand in my resignation and he just shot up out of his chair from behind the desk it was the first day back after the summer holidays first day back after lockdown hadn't seen him in what five months he was straight out of his chair like right let's go outside uh, so we ended up walking uh, around edgebaston in the uh, august sunshine and he said, why do you want to leave? You know, um, are you being offered more money? You know, which school are you going to? And I was like, no, um, actually, uh, I'm going to go and build a zoo. And I'm know, sorry. I just, <laughs> wow. I just, yeah, you know, I just can't. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, you, you could burst out laughing. You know, you could burst out laughing with that response. You know, like, oh, my gosh, Martin's been, you know, locked in the house for five months and he's gone uh, absolutely nuts. Um, but in reality, you know, I was so familiar with the business plan and also the um, sort of progression from that point to actually opening a zoo that when I explained to him step by step what I was doing, he was just overawed. And he's like, you know, this is fantastic. This is amazing. You know, this is, uh, I hate the word inspirational, but this is inspirational, you know, and fair play to you. So there'd always, always be a place at MPW for you if you wow. want to come back. Um, but you know, he gave me his blessings. We were gone an hour, um, but um, I think his biggest concern was, who am I going to replace you with? Because I probably did about seven jobs, so I needed seven different people to step in. Uh, but, um, you know, that conversation happened. And I'm sure if it wasn't COVID times, we'd have gone for a nice drink. But as it was, we walked around the block two metres apart. Love that. There you go, getting the safety message in there. So did he, uh, when you first told him... Um, did he actually say you're having a laugh, aren't you? Or did he? Was he? Was he just went straight into, you know, is it money or? I mean, did he think you were winding him up? Um, probably a little bit, but I think you know, I. I think most really, people would, Martin. Yeah, I have a really different persona in work to sort of at home. So the person I used to see on a night out, Damien, is very different to Martin's life in the workplace. I have a very uh, stern suit face and. My reputation was built on, I get stuff done, you know, so I don't mess around with small talk or rumors or gossip. It's just straight in. Let's get it done. So when I say something, I mean it um, in, in the workplace. And he knew straight away I wasn't messing around. Gosh. So you've told your boss, you've told your, your mum and dad, you must have had your pupils and people that really looked up to you. Now, bearing in mind, teachers mm-hmm. really have a... Uh, a lasting um, print on, on our lives. And, you know, we, we always know our first teacher, um, you know, some of them aren't great. Some of them are fantastic and, you know, they can be leaders. They can be inspiring and what a wonderful job it is. So your pupils, what did they say? And what did you do? Did you go into the class with like dressed as a rhino and kind of go, hi guys, or were you typical Martin and went, let's have a conversation. Well, it's one of the things I said to Mark in that walk around the block. I said, how do you want me to tell the students? He says, I don't want you to tell the students. You're not going to tell the students. And I said, well, we need to tell them in the next three days um, because I'm about to go public uh, with my intentions. So we're going to let in local press know it. You know, it's going to inevitably end up in the Birmingham Mail and you know, on radio, maybe TV and so on. Uh, and he was like, oh, no, you know, I can't see it getting that sort of traction. Nothing our students would would see. So I said, okay, Mark, you know, let's let's play with your your game. You know, let's not tell the students. Um, and then 
three days later made it public and within 20 minutes i think uh the school uh phone was ringing you know uh is it true that martin Blythe is leaving to go and build a zoo uh as it was you know wow. printed all across uh, the birmingham wow. mail it was on birmingham live was Live, live uh, bbc radio and all of that um and you know the pupils really were one thing that almost held me back. Um, oh, bless in you. The, in the previous academic year, it was the first time in probably five years that I taught year 12. Normally, I would just teach year 13 and do the final year of that economics course. Um, but I taught the year 12 uh, group and one group in particular. And I taught them through year 12. They're the strongest year 12 group that I ever had. And um, going into year 13, I was really excited, you know, to actually have um, a group from cradle to grave, like on the start of the program to the end. And I really wanted to help them, you know, get to the end, get their qualifications, get their grades in economics. And part of me thought, oh, do I just teach those guys five, you know, for the five hours per week I would have them? Um, but ultimately, I knew I had to put everything into it. But I do actually just want to mention that, you know, um, Priya and Chan and Kieran and Rish and Faisal, and Omer, um, you know, are, are, are all students, Nick Hill as well, who, you know, almost kept me, you know, at that school for a few, a few more months uh, because they were so committed and such a great bunch of students um, that I really want to see them through to the end, but, you know, it wasn't meant to be. And that's always nice as well to give people actual name drops. And that means a lot to people. Um, it, it, again, I know you don't like that word, but it is inspiring for students who not only have a teacher that's teaching them a subject that can lead to the business acumen side. And you you did that. You kind of went, Do you know what? I've been a teacher. I've studied. I've worked hard. The biggest thing for me, and this is the thing that I've always said to you from um, when we had our original pint and talked about this, you know, and this sounds very cliche. If someone does have a dream, and a lot of people say this, don't just say to yourself, it's a dream, you know, I should have, you know, I could have. Go and do it. And that's one of the things that, you know, myself and and Ian and Darren, we all kind of love radio. Um, And this kind of whole journey began in lockdown um, from us all talking. And I mean... Martin, from, from, from your standpoint, um, do, do you believe that? Do you believe that if, if people listening to this have got a dream and they have got something they want to do, should they, should they always go for it? Yeah, 100%. And that's what I'd always try and say to um, my students, especially. You know, if they, if they let's say, done uh, A-levels before, they got three C grades and they walked through the doors at MPW Birmingham. And they said, I want to do medicine. Well, they're going to need three A grades, but it's not impossible. Go for it. If you really want to do medicine, let's get those three A grades and move on. And I remember actually doing my first London marathon for Save the Rhino, which you mentioned a moment ago. And I remember being about 80% of the way around. And I thought, I am dying. I was not designed to run marathons. And I literally thought of uh, a student who I was working with at the time. Uh, her name was Agugwa. And she was, you know, uh, thinking about giving up maybe on, on her A-levels at a particular time because they're very stressful. And I'd really champion that she would carry on and she was more than capable of getting, you know, fantastic grades. And I thought, how could I be so hypocritical to consider giving up when every day I'm telling other people not to give up? So that was a key point for me was actually, well, every day you tell people to follow their dreams and that is not impossible. So why don't you listen to yourself? Um, and, you know, everyone who's listening right now to this um, interview might have their own dreams that they wish to follow. Um, and they tell everyone else to follow their dreams. So they just won't make that jump themselves. I know it's a risk. I know it's scary. But if you really want to do it, you will. And what I've noticed since making this huge leap is that your fight or flight um, sort of, um, you know, human nature really kicks in. Um, you know, you don't have a choice anymore. You've got to make it work and you find a way to make it work. So, yeah, just go for it. Good. Fantastic advice. And and again, um, you know, 
like you said, it can be done. So let, let's bring this up to date now. You've you've gone on the journey. We've been in the DeLorean. We've kind of gone through time. Let's let's go to modern time now. So it's been announced. It's in the press. Uh, we've got a name. Um, it's a wildlife park. You're trying to educate people about the differences uh, between zoos and obviously, you know, there the, again over the certainly the past year or so, uh, well, past I would say two years. There's been a bit of negative press with things that have been on Netflix and and people that may not have have helped to the word um, zoo. Mm -hmm. And again, sometimes people think of zoo as animals caged. And certainly from my side, I've always been more of a more of a safari park fan Mm -hmm. because they seem to be outside and uh, and roam. So so tell me from your side now, um, I mean, firstly, from from that standpoint, is that one of the reasons that you went for wildlife park, not zoo? Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the end of the day, whether you're a wildlife park or even an animal sanctuary or a zoological garden, the legal definition is still a zoo. You still need a zoo license. So all of these things are zoos. Um, part of being a wildlife park will be a zoo, but I feel like the wildlife park element has more positive connotations and gives you a better understanding of what we're trying to achieve. As I mentioned previously, you know, people have this really negative view of the word zoo. Maybe they think of monkeys behind bars in 1980s, maybe substandard conditions where animals were taken from uh, the wild. Um, but actually, you know, all good zoos find bad zoos deplorable. You know, bad zoos exist and you know, we can't stand them. But good zoos really do make um, you know, outstanding contributions to exit to conservation. Uh, with uh, captive breeding programs through European stud books, through education, you know, uh, outreach to local schools, facilitating research, which can then help, um, you know, the animals counterparts out in the wild. So zoos really do have a key role to play uh, in the world at the moment when we're facing so many challenges, you know, uh, obviously COVID, climate change, deforestation, habitat loss. Um, zoos really can uh, make the difference. With our name, Heart of England Wildlife Park, obviously Heart of England alludes to the area of the country in which the wildlife park will be based. But I do like the term wildlife park because to me that screams, you know, open, expansive areas rather than cages. And I know I've been recording the press before saying the term zoo without bars, which was originally used to describe Chester Zoo. Um, But, you know, I really do believe it is possible to create fantastic well-designed enclosures, which actually, you know, uh, really uh, give animals a fantastic, um, fantastic life, better lives than some of them were facing in the wild. Um, I recently listened to a TED talk by Dr. Sharon Redrobe, who's the uh, director at, at Twycross Zoo. And she'd been speaking uh, to Jane Goodall. We all know Jane Goodall's fantastic work with great apes. And then yeah, Jane Goodall said yeah. to Dr. Sharon Redrobe that she would rather be a chimpanzee in a good zoo than a chimpanzee in the wild right now because chimpanzees are facing habitat loss there's slash and burn on the forest to make way for economic development there's hunting for bush meat um you know mother chimpanzees could be killed um by poachers and they take the baby chimp and put them into the illegal pet trade so you know actually providing an enriching uh, enclosure for an animal albeit captively it is a good substitute um for a wildlife obviously there's never a true substitute but it allows us to safeguard the population should we ever need to god forbid have to reintroduce animals into the wild and i think that's a great point and i think it brings to the circle of life as well in terms of some of these um animals that um are born into wildlife parks um slash um zoos bearing in mind some of these animals have never known um the wild their home is the location they're in um and you know people say they should be in the wild or they should be in this if you introduce an animal that's been in captivity or or again yes it can be done um but they've got a home they're safe they're being fed um and 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 that's hugely important i think when as a visitor we we go somewhere and and see the animals now, I've been lucky enough to see a bit of an artist's impression, uh, and I think quite a few people have because it's been in the press. So uh, yeah. we're on a podcast, so we're not visual. Mm. So tell people what they can expect once the, um, once the Heart, of, uh, Heart of England Wildlife Park is, is up and running. So, so we walk through. What do we, what do we experience? Yeah, so um, 
the, the whole um, sort of master plan, the 10 year master plan for having a wildlife park focuses around uh, four main themed areas. So the first themed area is called Heart of England uh, and Heart of England uh, is an area that will include a coffee shop and also a playground which celebrates native wildlife species here in the UK. Uh, but also it'll have a nice uh, orchard which is dedicated to Worcestershire varieties of apples and apiary with beehives to produce honey just to actually really celebrate the um, cultural and agricultural roots of this area. You know, it really does nice. need celebrating. You know, Worcestershire, South Warwickshire are incredibly special places. So, you know, we should celebrate those first as well. And we should definitely contribute to conservation of our local area. Um, we have to look after what's on our doorstep, as well as what's in Southeast Asia and you know, Central Africa. The, the, the big um, sort of development, which I know you've seen concept art for, Damien, is for phase one, which is Africa. Um, and we intend to have uh, endangered Grevy zebra uh, as our first sort of main flagship species. So uh, you will walk through this area called Heart of Africa, and it's a big uh, open area, sort of grassy fields. Um, with Grevy zebra uh, and ostrich sort of co-existing side by side. And rather than having, uh, you know, bars uh, to keep them in, we are looking at a ha-ha design where you dig out a big trench and basically uh, it looks almost like the zebras are on the same level as you, but they can't escape because there's a big ditch in the way uh, which slopes down, they can't jump over. Um, so, you know, a lot of people have said to me, oh, you know, um, you keep talking about these endangered zebras. Zebras aren't endangered, but actually there are several different species of, of zebra. Uh, and the one which we are hoping to have a heart in the wildlife part is the endangered grevy zebra. There's only 2,500 or so of those left in uh, Kenya. Oh, gosh. You know, and, and that's the only place you can find them. Wow. Um, so we're currently in discussions with um, the EEP uh, coordinator about potentially taking on some uh, castrated uh, males and to you know play a key role in uh, holding uh, surface animals within the, the breeding program um, and then there will also be some other African species as well uh, including red river hog uh, which is a bit like a, a jungle pig for those of you who aren't that familiar with them they have big uh, hairy ears and they've got red um, sort of red uh, hair all over their body which makes them really quite uh, wonderful to look at got to see myself one of those is, is that a bit like Timon? Uh, P- Pumba. Uh, so P- Pumba Good. is a warthog. Yeah, Pumba is a warthog. But I suppose you know, that if you're trying to picture it right now, a, a red warthog is not a million miles away. From okay. A red okay. Warthog. I like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, we've put out some concept art, which you know uh, you've mentioned. We've also got landscape plans as well. And then later on, um, you know, year five plus, um, the the two final areas will be Heart of Asia and Heart of the Americas. Uh, and we'll hopefully have some uh, incredible species, including tiger uh, in Heart of Asia and also um, lowland tapir uh, and giant anteaters in the South American section. I mean, it, it sounds, it, it, it just not only so exciting, but it also sounds like a complete adventure um as well which which is so exciting for the local area because there's nothing like it um unless you go over kind of beautifully kidderminster way um so in terms of location you've got a really um you know great location and speaking of which not everyone is always fluffy and nice and kind of welcomes this idea with open arms um Mm. and, and and that's unfortunately the way that you know, the world is, you're going to get people that, that love things. You're going to get people that really hate things. How have you managed that? How have you managed the, the negative? Uh, and also the fact that you went for a site recently, uh, uh, which would have been amazing. And from what I understand, well, it's been in the press that that's not going ahead. So just, just take me on that journey. Yeah. So, um, for those of you who don't know, we did um, initially have some initial discussions with Redditch Borough Council about putting the wildlife park at Forge Mill. And I did all the background work in terms of the ecology. We had highways reports from Worcestershire County Council and everything sort of ticked the boxes. But there was always one big box that would need to be ticked if that site was to ever become a reality. And that was the conservation or the historical conservation aspect. And what we needed to do was actually uh, submit um, a pre-application device from uh, Historic England. 
um, because the site which we are proposing is adjacent to a scheduled ancient monument. And uh, we sent off our first proposals, um, probably September last year, uh, to Historic England. They received them and they didn't like it. And, you know, there was always a realistic probability that Historic England wouldn't be um, in favour of our proposals at you know, the, uh, the first point which we'd highlighted to them. So when they came back and said, um, you know, we don't like your plans, we don't recommend you pursue them any further, we did have, um, you know, a second red line available to us, um, which, you know, didn't touch the scheduled ancient monument um, as much or impede upon it as the first plans did. We sent off the second set of proposals to Historic England, and we genuinely thought we had a chance that they would say yes. You know, we were barely touching any of the scheduled intramonument area. You know, it, I genuinely believe that our plans would have complemented the uh, surrounding area. And actually, we'd have been able to work to attract more people to the scheduled intramonument because of history outreach as well as part of our education commitment as a wildlife park. Um, but when the second proposals were rejected, that did kind of be a kick in the teeth, uh, to be honest. But when we obviously made the announcement that we were going to put these plans to Historic England, um, you're right, there was some criticism. And uh, there was a petition formed. I think that petition had almost um, 1,000 um, signatures on it saying, we do not want a wildlife park in this area. Maybe that was because they enjoyed that area when they were a child. Maybe they'd enjoyed the area more recently because of the pandemic and a daily exercise there, or they walked their dogs there. Or maybe they would genuinely believe that we would have, you know, um, been sort of harmful to the historic aspect of that site. But I'm glad there was a petition because I believe in freedom of speech. I believe in democracy. And I think everyone has a right to, you know, say their opinions. And I can completely respect people when they do a respectful petition and they write to me and say, we don't like your ideas. Please reconsider but what I can't really tolerate, you know, especially for teacher, is when people get personal or people, um, you know, are slanderous maybe um, about you in the public domain, whether that's on social media, or sometimes they just approach you in the street and tell you what they think of your idea. Um, and yeah, that, that have has, you had that, Martin? Yeah, I have had it. Um, thankfully, in the street, it was only uh, once um, where somebody literally came up to me and told me to pack my bags because that was the worst thing to ever happen to Reddit and so on. Um, which, which, you know, harmful because I genuinely, you know, I'm trying to bring uh, this enterprise to Redditch that contributes to the big picture, which is the conservation of endangered wildlife species. But also we've got a business model, which is really going to help um, the economic recovery uh, post-COVID. It's going to bring jobs to the local area. It's going to create multiplier effects where other local businesses benefit. Um, so, yeah, it was hard that the, that person didn't see the big picture. But, you know, I have received uh, letters, emails, social media comments, you know, which, which aren't that nice. And I've always said um, to my brother, uh, actually, you know, just personally, when the zoo opens, wherever that may be, we're going to get those comments. <laughs> and we're going to print them out. Uh, and we're, I'm going to have a picture taken with them, you know, in front of the zoo, you know, um, because I remember um, Premier League football player, uh, Connor Hurahan, um, played for Aston Villa. He um, scored his first goal um, in the Premier League and he retweeted a tweet that someone had sent to him maybe five years prior that said, you'll never be good enough for the Premier League. You're absolute, you know, slanderous. Yeah, yeah. And he just retweeted it on the day he scored his first Premier League goal. And, you know, that's, I think that's the best way to deal with it. You know, if people are going to doubt you or not be Karma. You, prove them wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, I think, going back to that and trolls can be, um, you know, they're in the uh, keyboard warriors and all of this there. Uh, it's out there now and social media has been a great thing for society. And also it's been, you know, a little bit of a detriment at times as well. Uh, for you, did you ever sort of when you were getting that that bad press, you were getting people coming up to you in the street. Did you ever go back to that that? that school and those pupils and 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 look at yourself and think that was safe martin that was martin that maybe doesn't get that and do you almost think that you almost gave up at some point yeah a hundred percent um i think i've said to quite a few people that um many others would have 
given up if that had been criticized maybe by something in the way that I have if had to come you know head on to a petition people would have gone oh you know get out of here quick but actually you know um one of the things which I'm really passionate about is having community involvement in the development of this wildlife park like you said there's nothing like it in this area you know it should be a great, great asset for the whole town and for the local area so I really actually do want people to write to me with constructive feedback and you know constructive advice and suggestions and when we put out um, you know, a call for some support from the community a few weeks ago saying, look, we've had this rejection on this one site. Do you have any ideas where else we could place this wildlife park? People wrote to me saying, oh, why don't you put it here? Or, oh, we've got land available. Come and talk to us. So, you know, yes, there are trolls, but also through the power of social media and the media itself, you can get really um, positive outcomes as well. We're not quite there yet in terms of um you know definitive dates etc but in terms of looking forward and i think that's what we're all doing now in the world of the pandemic you know we've got these five steps they're all going through to get back to some normality for you how much has that affected the the your plans your your aspirations because you you know you're not you've you've not got a steady income coming um at the moment we'll talk about this um you've left a job um i understand you did sell your house so two questions there where are you living how are you living and you know are you okay have you got a tent what 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 do we need to do (laughs) you know what this is this is one of my favorite questions that i get all the time is where are you living how are you affording to live um you know at the end of the day i'm genuinely concerned you're a mate is a business but also you know it goes back to parental support and family support you know members of my family have been incredibly supportive i'm able to stay with parents i'm in a nice safe warm house you know and the, the equity for my house is sat in, in the savings account basically waiting for us to get the green light um on a site the the lockdown the third lockdown was a real kick in the teeth i remember doing an interview with bbc um radio um sort of august time and they said oh are you worried that a second lockdown could you know harm your plans and i remember saying no i'm not worried about a second lockdown and the second lockdown you know it didn't really slow anything down there wasn't any whole thing of progress no the third no. lockdown was a real surprise to many people i think especially how extreme it was and i got a, a lovely new diary for christmas and i remember um i think it was new year's day writing out all my appointments for the next you know few months going to different zoos meeting different people in the industry and literally when the announcement came that we were going into lockdown uh, i had to literally scrub them all out again because obviously zoos weren't allowing external visitors oh, in and you know even conversations with stakeholders like the council people like that you know they had other priorities they had to manage you know social distancing in all of their community assets and parks and so on so actually the third lockdown was a bit of a, a kick in the teeth and you know ultimately it has delayed um the project but we have got everything we need to accelerate plans as soon as we get a green light on a site unfortunately it's not as easy as just going oh there's a piece of land let's build a zoo on it um obviously there's lots of background work in terms of ecology highways um conservation and historic record um you've got to do all of this first before you can even make an offer on a site we have recently made an offer uh, on a site we're still fully committed to the idea we're still fully committed to the heart of england we're still fully committed to reddit you know there's some great sites in Scotland, Wales, Kent, you know, we could just go and take those on and build a, a wildlife park. But actually, I think what's really key for me is that I want to give something back to my hometown as well. I don't want to just go and, you know, uh, be part of a, the a key part of the economic recovery in a place I've never lived before. I want to be doing it in a place that means something to me, where my friends are and my family live. Uh, and, you know, therefore, we'll keep keep pursuing that for, for as long as needs be and that's great to hear because i, th- I think certainly redditch needs something like that you know um it, it needs something that kind of maybe sh- shows us in a different light as well mm-hmm. um you know redditch is still a, a great town it's got some great it's, it, it's i think you told me martin potentially that you know Arrow valley lake please tell me that fact you told me which is still to this point amazing. And our producers are listening to this as well. And this is a a wonderful um, little uh, true fact. Tell me about it, because I try and tell this story and I get it wrong. Um, So 
Arrow Valley Park is the second biggest central park in the world after Central Park, New York. Now, there are bigger parks, but they're not in the center of a town or city. Whereas the Arrow Valley Park in Redditch literally is in the heart of the town, just like Central Park is in uh, New York. It's almost a thousand acres. A lot of people go to Arrow Valley Park and they walk around the lake and they get back in the car and go home. But actually, it goes all the way from almost Alf Church, you know, Bordesley Abbey and uh, Abbey Meadows, all the way down to Washford, which, you know, basically touches Studley. Fascinating. Fascinating. Mm. Who would know that? Hey, eh? <laughs> and people just thought Redditch was famous for, you know, clay and, and, and needles. No, there's a fact for you. So I, th- I think, again, t- to bring this full circle now, um, there has to be kind of a, a bit of a, um, an end game to this. And, you know, it, it will either be absolutely fantastic. The, the wildlife park opens. Hurrah. We've done it. Yes. Let's get visitors in. Or on the other side of the coin, is there an end to this, Martin? And and do you keep going? Do you keep carrying on? Or, you know, where, where, is there an answer to that? Yes, it's, it's a really good question, Damien. So, you know, um, I can't plod on for 20 years and never get a site in Redditch. <laughs> you know, um, Redditch, unfortunately, um, Redditch Borough Council, um, you know, their land area is basically built upon. Redditch is built up to its borders. You know, as soon as you um, sort of go any further, you suddenly get into Bromsgrove Council territory or Whitchaven or into Stratford. It, there's literally almost nowhere else to build. So the land areas we're looking at are, you know, limited uh, in this area. So that's why we are broadening our search a little bit, looking in um, areas which are technically Stratford District Council uh, territory, but are still close enough to Redditch. You know, they still have a Redditch address. We recently looked at a site uh, in Holbury Green, which um, is technically Whitchaven, uh, but ultimately it's Holbury Green, Redditch. That's the full address. They were looking, you know, outside of the town. The first proposal at um, Bordesley was very central. That's in the part of Redditch. We're looking on the outskirts now uh, at a couple of sites. And yeah, ultimately, you know, if by the end of this year, we haven't identified a suitable site in Redditch, but we can't we're going to have to consider somewhere else. We're going to have to think, well, do we move closer to, let's say, just random names, Eversham or Solly Hall? Do we head closer to Birmingham? We still want to do it in this area, but we haven't given up on Redditch yet. You know, it's very much home for us and we'll do everything we can to try and get it up and running here. Good. So Redditch is the, Redditch is still the main aim, but Either way, whether it's Timbuk2, whether it's Redditch, whether it's, um, you know, the moon, this journey will carry on for Martin Blythe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've said to my brother on many occasions, we're, we're going to build a zoo. You know, sometimes I have to pinch myself. Yesterday I was on a course about uh, managing dangerous wild animals as part of the zoo licensing requirements. You know, you had pinched up. Like, I was a teacher, you know, four months ago, and now I'm in here with all of these vets and Secretary of State, Zoo Licensing Inspectors, and we're talking about managing you know, dangerous animals. So it's really exciting for me. We are going to build a zoo. If it's in Redditch, that's the, you know, that's the complete desirable, but we will obviously do it somewhere. The, the real surprise to this journey is how we seem to have accidentally opened uh, an online toy shop. Um, so one of the very early things that I did um, when I uh, started saying for zoo was I knew that getting the doors open was going to be challenging at first because of COVID. So I was thinking, I'm quitting my job. How do we get cash flow in? How do we grow the business? And we went out and contacted some really big hitters in the industry, in the toy industry, uh, Shrike and Playmobil uh, and people like that. And we've been stocking their products and we've been selling them on our website and uh, on various different selling platforms. And that sort of exceeded all of our expectations and you know we're getting lots and lots of orders every single day and they're going all around the country and up to the highlands of scotland down southampton i think literally the other day we had one parcel going to inverness and one going to southampton and then so many more in between and it was just so exciting to see that you know coming out of the the label printing machine wow um so you know we've we've accidentally opened you know this online toy shop and we also sell garden ornaments and clothing and stuff and so there is a business there uh, which i'm managing full-time at the moment 
whilst also really proceeding with um with, with the zoo development itself and that's the entrepreneurial side um, of, of, you, of yourself. And um, again, if you've got a dream um, and something you want to go for, nothing's going to stop you. And you're doing the same there. Like, like I said earlier, it's fight or flight. You know, literally, like you said, this could go very badly wrong. You know, you could give up, but there's a part of you that doesn't want it to you can't it's your dream you've got to follow it so you've got to fight you've got to really really go for it you've got to find a way to bring in cash you've got to find a way to build a zoo and i'll just very quickly mention um another zoo fighter zoo up in in scotland you know uh i know mike uh knight uh reasonably well now uh, since announcing we're going to build a zoo here in in reddit but you know what a role model he was came out of university didn't have you know a million pound in the bank like some people who build zoos do he literally begged, borrowed, built a zoo, but first of all, got the cafe up and running, got cash flowing, you know, got people coming to this coffee shop called Fighter Zoo with no animals. Then he built a soft play. Great, more cash flow, guaranteed that people come over winter as well. And then, you know, almost 18 months later, they got some animals. So, you know, you don't have to start with getting your zebras on site straight away. People say to me, where are you getting animals from? <clears throat> getting the animals is actually probably the easiest part of building a zoo. Actually generating a business which is going to provide jobs and it's going to be able to, you know, support those animals is the most challenging part. But we're getting that part nailed first and that's going to help us snowball and grow. The journey from, you know, um, you selling, um, you know, stick insects and being at school to then going into teaching um, to then telling your new mum and dad via text that you're, you're quitting to, to build a zoo. This is one of the reasons that we do this show. And for the listeners of the show, it's not only about some people that you may know. It's also about people that you may not know. The reason that we do the interviews is about interesting stories and interesting people. And over the next coming uh, weeks on this season, you're going to be seeing a lot of interesting characters, a lot of interesting stories. Um, and these three media are going to bring those to you. Um, Martin, it, it's been an absolute pleasure going on the journey with you. I think we'd only be right and just to give some um, shout outs to websites and places that people can find out more about yourself and the business. Yeah, fantastic. So please do follow us on uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and so on. We're called uh, Haiti Wildlife Park. If you want to visit our website, it's www.hofewildlifepark.com. Or you can just Google Heart of England Wildlife Park and we'll definitely come up. Or if you Google teacher quits job, build zoo, we'll also come up that way as well. honestly what a tagline hey it's 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 inspirational and i know that word is used a lot but having known you and spent some time with you seeing you lose the weight um to seeing you um growing confidence um go through a a, you know a split up and and you've you've grown so much and um you know i i'm so glad i've been um to able to see your journey and you know without sounding condescending I, i'm proud of you as well it's it's um it's great to see so thank you for being on the podcast today it's all different so thank you bless you right okay more to come we will be back soon with more interesting stories and more inspirational people from me damien lee and ian barstow producing this is the interviews from these three media good night everybody These three media.